This reading is taken from Acts 17, um, verse 18 to 34. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him. Some of them asked, What is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, He seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus, where they said to him, May we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting? You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we would like to know what they mean. All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. So you are ignorant of this very thing you worship, and this is what I am going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth, and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man he made all the nations, that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. For in, in him we live and move and have our being. As some of our own poets have said, we are his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof to this to everyone by raising him from the dead. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered, but others said, We want to hear you again on this subject. At that, Paul left the council. Some of the people became followers of Paul and believed. Among them was Dionysius, a member of the Oropagus, also a woman named Damaris, and a number of others. This is the word of the Lord. Meet people where they are. This phrase, if I'm perfectly honest with you, really annoyed me. What exactly do people mean when they say, meet people where they are? I was encouraged to do this rather a lot um, in my training. It's one of their favorite phrases. Meet people where they are. Great. 
But having spent some considerable time this week um, pondering this in relation to evangelism, I think I might have a little more insight. I'm brought back to the passage in the message version of the Bible um, in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 and 30. It says, uh, as Jesus is talking about how to find rest in him, but I think it applies to all life. He says, walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. So, let us work with Jesus. Let us watch how he communicates, how he interacts, how he talks to people, how he builds relationships. The first thing to notice is his approach. When Jesus is presented with a need, with someone who is struggling, his first response is compassion and love. His heart goes out to them. He has empathy. He doesn't presume to know what their need is. He asks. So maybe, before we start, before we do anything, we should check in with our hearts before we have a conversation about God to somebody else. What is our motivation Is it because we feel we should be doing this? Or is it because we feel such love for God, such love for the person in front of us, that love compels us to gently broach the subject? If our hearts are full of love, then what do we do? Have you ever felt truly truly listen to. When somebody is completely focused on you and what you are saying, it's a truly special feeling. You feel like the only person in the room, that what you are saying is of vital importance to the other. It's a really rare gift, I think, to be made to feel like that. And I can think of only a handful of people that have made me feel like that in my life. And those moments are really special and I treasure them in my heart. On the other hand, you know when you're not being listened to, don't you? Don't you just hate it at a dinner party when you're in conversation with somebody and they're constantly looking over your shoulder trying to listen to somebody else's conversation? makes you feel really boring, doesn't it? And uninteresting, and a bit less than. Or maybe that's just me. But as Hannah Steele points out in her book, when you read Jesus' encounters with people in the Gospels, you get the impression that each person is held in his gaze. That's such a beautiful phrase, isn't it? Held in his gaze that that person, at that moment, is the most important person to Jesus. When the rich young ruler claims to have kept all the Ten Commandments, 
We're told that Jesus, looking at him, loved him. In the midst of the bustling crowd, Jesus seeks out the woman who touched his cloak. In that moment, the needs of the wider crowds around him became secondary to Jesus' desire that this woman knows that she has been seen, that she has been heard, and that she is loved. There is no better feeling than knowing that you have been seen and heard and that you are loved. Evangelism isn't about getting our agenda across, pushing our point home, proving them wrong and us right. It's less about communicating and more about an encounter. It's about relationship. It's about friendship. It's about creating that space of grace between two friends where God can flow freely between them. And this will look different with everyone we meet, as it did with Jesus. Yes, it is really good to have your own faith story ready to tell somebody else if they ask for it. But this is more about allowing the Spirit room to work, the opportunity for God to speak into the heart of our friends. Now, I don't know about you, but I often fall into the trap of presuming I've gone into so many problems doing this. I hear about someone's issues or problems um, or someone struggling with something and they, they come to me and I can immediately presume um, that I have the answer. Um, I go into help mode. I go into my nursing. I can fix this um, way of doing things with words like, well, what you want to do is... And I don't stop and I don't ask questions. Now, Jesus, the one who really does have all the answers, spends a surprising amount of time asking questions and listening and asking questions to questions. Why does he do this? Often, the real question people want answering is actually not the one that they're asking you. I took uh, the funeral of a really dear friend of mine earlier this year and her children asked me if I thought she was in heaven. And instead of giving uh, a yes or no answer, I asked them what they thought. And this led to a much deeper conversation, which is still ongoing. And if I had given them a pat theological answer... That conversation would have died there and then. We would, still, we would not still be in dialogue about this. So something to bear in mind, I feel, is what is the question behind the question that they're actually asking? Meet them where they are. Maybe this involves, firstly, having love for them approaching them with empathy and compassion. Then questions. 
What is the need? The need behind the question. Then we listen properly. Like they are the only person in the room. That we have all the time in the world. That there is nowhere else we would rather be than right there with them, listening, engaging with them. We give them our complete, undivided attention. We build relationships. When I uh, was first a Christian, most of my friends were outside the church. Plenty of opportunity to witness to the love of God. But as time has rolled by, and I've become a little bit more involved, I find that most of my friends are now Christians, which is lovely. Um, but how do I spread the love of God if everyone I know already knows? I have to put myself in places and situations where I might feel out of my comfort zone. One of these places was when I was school chaplain. And being a school chaplain in a secular school, I have to say, was one of the most challenging three years of my life. I wasn't allowed to overtly preach the gospel. So I had to rely on witnessing to God through my life rather than through my words. In real terms, this manifested itself by abstaining from uh, staff from gossip, maintaining a cheerful disposition, and becoming known as somebody who could keep confidences, help in friendship disputes, and provide a listening ear to staff and pupils and parents. Now, there were often days, and I felt really bad about this for a while, actually, but there were often days where I didn't mention um, God at all. But I knew he was there. I could see him in the faces of the children. I could hear him in the laughter in the corridors. And I could glimpse him in the way the teachers interacted with the pupils. And I hope my presence there, in some small way, made people wonder what this God thing was all about. Sometimes the staff would come and duck into my room um, to ask me about my faith, or sometimes they would come and see me at a time of grief or loss in their lives. And when that happened, we were able to give the Holy Spirit an opportunity to do his thing. But we don't all have to go out of our comfort zones and become school chaplains to do this. We, um, we all go shopping. Uh, we all stand in queues. We all, some of us, used to, stand at the school gates. And I'm not suggesting that we spout forth as soon as we find ourselves at Sainsbury's or Waitrose or wherever you show shopping. But we can all form friendships along the way. Those conversations in the queues, the starters, we can all form friendships and relationships. A guy told me of an encounter that he had this week at work, which I hope he doesn't mind. It's a bit late now. I'm going to share it with you anyway. Um, he was at an awards dinner um, up in London um, for his company. And afterwards, the senior management team retired to the hotel bar until 2.30 in the morning. And he told me of the most amazing 
mind-blowing conversations that he had with those other men about faith, his faith, about heaven, about suffering, not a dreaded question about suffering, and all of the misconceptions that these men had about Christianity. And Guy was given a God-given opportunity to show them love, understanding, compassion. And he listened, and he asked questions, and hopefully managed to leave them intrigued and hungry for more. And who knows where that might lead to. But the Holy Spirit was definitely at work, and it's in God's hands now. But what I hope most of all, that those who encounter Christians, those who come across us, are filled with a sense of wonder, a feeling of being loved and of being heard without judgment, without condemnation, and are given an opportunity to ask their questions. There is such a massive misconception out there of what a Christian is, that it's all about rules, not having any fun, thinking we're better than everybody else. And we have such a wonderful opportunity to show them a different version, a loving, compassionate, non-judgmental Christian, a Christ follower who is more interested in what they have to say, where they are, what their understanding is, what their life experiences have been. Someone to meet them where they are. In our reading, Paul met the Athenians where they were, connecting with their culture, quoting their poets. He spent time walking around their city, getting an understanding of their way of life, before he engaged in conversation and debate. So to finish, I'd like to quote Hannah Steele, who puts it much better than I could. She says in her book, Our role as witness is to speak grace, grace, and more grace. As disciples of Jesus, we have experienced the love of God in Christ. It is our great privilege that we get to reveal this extraordinary love of God to people in ordinary ways, through everyday conversations, through listening and asking questions. In this way, we are able to live his story, communicating not just what Jesus did, but communicating like Jesus did. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your extraordinary story that you have called us to be a part of. Would you help us to see others as you do? To love them as you do? And to treat them as you have treated us with unconditional love and acceptance. Help us to be your hands and your feet in your world. 
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.